You are listening to So What, a podcast from Canadian Mennonite University. CMU is in Winnipeg, Manitoba, in Treaty 1 territory. I'm your host, Jonas Cornelson, in Treaty 7, Calgary, Alberta. It's a new year and a new podcast series, but our topic is as old as this country we call Canada. Right relationship and reconciliation between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. This has never been easy, and non-Indigenous people, especially white people, are well advised to listen first. But we white Canadians do also speak, and how we speak matters. That's why I want to start this four-part series on reconciliation by looking at the words of a high-profile white person. And by the way, I'm going to keep saying we to refer to white Canadians just to own my place in this conversation. The high-profile white person we'll hear from today is former Prime Minister Joe Clark. Mr. Clark was Prime Minister between 1979 and 1980, and later became a cabinet minister in Brian Mulroney's government. As a leader, Joe's words have the potential to set the tone for how other white people approach this topic. Since retiring formally from politics, Joe Clark has spent lots of time both listening and speaking on reconciliation. He visited CMU in 2015 to share a talk called From Truth to Reconciliation. This episode will happen in two parts. First up, I'll share some clips from Joe Clark and my thoughts on them. And then I'll be joined by Christy Anderson, who serves as the Indigenous Engagement Advisor at CMU, to get her perspective on what Joe said. So we'll start with Joe Clark and see how he sets the tone by describing early contact between Indigenous people and European settlers. We have to remember that in Canada, as distinct from in, in what became Canada, as, in, as distinct from what, from in what became the United States, the welcoming to newcomers of Aboriginal people was extraordinary. Of course, there were some violent incidents, but nothing like what, you, what I grew up with watching television and listening to cowboy and Indian movies. The point is that this, not only that this was their land first, but more importantly, when we came to their land, they made us welcome. And that's a historic fact that is irrefutable and worth uh, bearing in mind. The point that Joe Clark is making here, that indigenous people made Europeans welcome, is an important pushback on that cowboys and Indians story that Joe mentions that he grew up with. Although he says it's historically untrue, that good guy and bad guy story really had devastating consequences. It was one of the ways that white people came to believe indigenous people needed to be, quote, civilized. One of these consequences was indigenous children being forcibly taken from their communities and placed in Indian residential schools. This went on for over 150 years and has since been described as genocide. And while this was going on, Canadians across the country, like Joe Clark in High River, Alberta, grew up without any idea it was happening. I have been in the room when grandmothers who had been confined in residential schools and whose lives literally came apart, finally, for the first time in 50 or 60 years, found the courage and the, and the place in which they could speak about the damage that had done uh, to their lives. And I listened, and I said this, I do this with some shame, because I grew up 
in a town four miles, five miles from uh, a residential school. I knew nothing about it. I went through my adult life. I went through my early days as a member of parliament knowing nothing about what had happened to people my age from my part of the country uh, in those schools. But among the things that happened is they were, t and I ask you to consider what you would do if this happened to you. If when you were four or five years old, you had been taken away from your parents, you had been sent from a school, you had been told that the language you spoke was wrong uh, and, and, and primitive, and if you tried to speak your language, in some cases, blocks of wood were put in the mouths of four and five and six-year-olds uh, so you could not uh, speak. Joe Clark asking what you would do is a rhetorical question, of course. The point is that the challenges facing Indigenous people in Canada today come directly from deep harms inflicted by Canadians and Canada's governments. As Mr. Clark says, these harms have led to poor social outcomes for Indigenous people and negative stereotypes about them across multiple generations. There, there is an intergenerational dimension to this issue uh, that needs to be uh, looked at. It is one of the contributing factors to the relatively uh, low socioeconomic situation of Aboriginal people in the country, whether relating to susceptibility to disease or to uh, lifestyle problems or to uh, other kinds of things. And it's, uh, it is simply there. There's no redoing the past. There is taking account of the past and ensuring that it will not uh, recur. Now, because that happened, there is this bad news image about uh, Aboriginal people. No. I have to cut Joe Clark off here because that last sentence he said is really important. I'll paraphrase. Because these things happened, Canadians mainly think of Indigenous people in terms of bad news. Out of context, this bad news has led to really hurtful stereotypes. It's embarrassing how many Canadians I've heard say things like, Native people are just drunk and lazy. That's what happens when we see the harm, but not the cause. We're now paying more attention to the history of residential schools, so it's tempting to forget just how recently most Canadians had no idea. And it's tempting not to acknowledge how many Canadians still hold these stereotypes. So what? How do we turn this around? There are many pieces to the puzzle, policy changes, land claims, and so on. But Joe Clark says we also need to work on changing the perceptions of Indigenous people among non-Indigenous Canadians. So I think land is central to this, but land, does, uh, land agreements alone don't solve the whole problem. Land agreements alone can be a portal to a broader solution. The question here is about status and stereotype. And I don't mean status in the narrow uh, Indian Act uh, phrase. I just I mean status as equal Canadians, right. uh, as equal Canadians with a heritage that is uh, different than 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 that of others. But there are lots of Canadians with heritage different than uh, than others. How do we draw attention to the qualities of uh, uh, of Aboriginal uh, individuals and people as uh, as a group, Aboriginal people as a group. Here's an eccentric idea, but I think it's germane. Uh, one of the critical debates in Canada now is about sustainability, uh, seen as the conflict between resource industries and environmentalists. Well, 
Uh, one of the realities is that Aboriginal people in their basic beliefs are the most environmental. There is a connection with the land that is, uh, uh, that is absolutely essential to their identity and their, uh, their history. Uh, their involvement in the environmental movement now tends to be fueled more by protest than it is by their history of relation to the land. But their history of relation to the land can be very instructive to everyone if we are able to, uh, to draw it out. And yet I, don't, I think that, that the average Canadian view of Aboriginals involved in concern about pipelines is that here they are protesting again rather than here they are respecting their traditional uh, respect for, for the land. Uh, that's a little fuzzy still, but there's a very important distinction here that um, I think needs to be, uh, to be built onto. Um, I think the uh, uh, getting out good news is very important about the, the racial instincts. Uh, and there are going to be some people who, uh, uh, whom we will never bring aboard uh, this. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. I'm going to try to touch on a few things. I want to note that the term indigenous or aboriginal has limits. There is such a wide diversity of history, culture, and present politics within and among all the groups referred to in this way. For example, not every First Nation or First Nations person will protest against pipelines. That being said, when some indigenous people do practice environmental advocacy, we need to understand how deep cultural traditions shape this work. Part of what I think Joe Clark is saying here is that indigenous cultures need to be valued on their own terms. Okay, we've covered a lot of ground here for just 10 minutes. As I said before, it's important that white people speak on these topics. We are responsible for changing our own narratives. But we also need the insight of Indigenous conversation partners. In that spirit, I am honored to be joined by Christy Anderson, who serves as an instructor and Indigenous engagement advisor at CMU, among many other things. Christy listened to the clips I took from Joe Clark and then we chatted about what stood out to her. Christy will introduce herself and then we'll continue with the conversation. Bonjour, Christy Anderson, Indigenous mean Panemuteng Indoji mean Mahigan Indodem. Greetings. In the language of my ancestors, I just introduced myself. My name is Christy Anderson. I'm from Panemuteng First Nation and I am of the Wolf Clan. I'm also Mennonite by heritage um, on my matrilineal side. I am a PhD student. I also work for Canadian Mennonite University. I'm a mother to two young boys, and I do lots of things to keep me really, really busy. <laughs> One of the first things Christy brought up was the Cowboys and Indians narrative we talked about at the start of the episode. And although Joe Clark said it was historically untrue in Canada, Christy wanted to go deeper on its cultural impact and how it affected her family. We'll start there and then keep going with Christy's thoughts on the rest of Joe Clark's comments. This kind of cowboy and Indian narrative really supports the kind of savage, civilized narrative, mm. right? And 
it did so in a way that was very, very um, widespread. I can even think back to my father, who is a Nishinaabeg. He mm -hmm. was a Nishinaabeg because his whole life, he actually wanted to be the cowboy and not the Indian. Mm -hmm. You know, so I just picture my dad living on the res and going to play cowboys and Indians with, with, you know, his cousins and his, and his brothers and mm. all these other things. And these kids fighting over who's going to be the Indians, you know, mm. because in those, in those movies, it was the cowboys were always the heroes. And yeah. like, you know, so you've got this generation of like, you know, indigenous kids growing up on the reserve who don't want to be an Indian because mm -hmm. they don't want to get killed and they want to be the hero. And my dad literally grew up, you know, wearing cowboy boots and like leather jackets. Like he really took that cowboy thing to the next level. So yeah. that was one of the things that I thought about mm -hmm. in response to Joe. Let's uh, let's talk about, um, I really, I really want to talk about too, this part um, where Joe talks about how the, the harms of colonialism led to poor social outcomes and mm -hmm. the intergenerational effect of that. Yeah. We have to get to this place where we understand that colonialism has manufactured a specific version of who Indigenous peoples are. And through policies and legislation, they have intentionally created poverty right this mm -hmm. is manufactured mm -hmm. poverty social political and economic exclusion from settler society very intentional mm -hmm. in what it was it does what it was set what it set out to do right is to exclude and to marginalize and then what we have in in all of this is this idea that like you know, first of all, we're viewing Indigenous peoples through a deficit lens. Mm -hmm. right? It's always what we don't have or what we're not attaining um, according to, you know, settler social norms or economic or political or educational norms. Mm -hmm. And it's always been framed for such a long time as the Indian problem. I think what's really, really critical and what is going to totally help us on this journey of understanding writing relationships and getting into better relationships between Indigenous and settler people is when we flip the narrative to from Indian problem to colonial problem. Mm -hmm. So if you, if there's one thing that you commit to getting into your head as a white settler person is to go from this idea of whatever story, whatever narrative keeps telling you that it's an Indian problem, changing that narrative to it's a colonial problem. So the way Joe Clark put it in the content was this whole, you know, he emphasized the causality, which I drew out as really important, you know, to say like, because of all these colonial initiatives, policies, et cetera, this, these things happened, this, what he called a bad news image of indigenous people was was formed and created and he says that part of part of a way to respond to that is is he calls it getting out good news how does getting out good news fit into it for you if if at all well okay so this is a thing it's not that i don't uh, that i disagree with joe it's just that i think that good news isn't enough to counter this 
narrative that we are deficit that we are culturally and morally deficient mm-hmm. <laughs> because that is the civ- civilized savage dichotomy that has existed for so long and it's really hidden um so I don't completely disagree with him, but I don't think that that's kind of like a silver bullet mm-hmm. solution, right? Like I mm-hmm. think when it comes down to it, you know, it's it's almost like a, I think a cherry on top, if you want to go and mm-hmm. use that kind mm-hmm. of illustration, as opposed to the hard work of reconciliation, which is policy and change, you know, legislative change, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, uh, respecting rights, inherent rights, treaty rights, honoring mm. treaties, right? Like it's almost like a window dressing. It's almost, um, it's almost too light and fluffy of a solution to this problem, right? Mm-hmm. The, to this colonial problem. Yeah. <laughs> there is one part where Joe talks about, about fi- finding out a way for indigenous people, transforming perceptions of indigenous peoples mm-hmm. And this, this kind of idea that, you know, Indigenous peoples need to be seen as e- ha- having equal status, as status as equal Canadians. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have to say that that is not the goal yeah. of Indigenous people, you yeah. know? Like, so in this point, I really, I, I feel like Joe kind of missed the mark there because mm-hmm. we need to have all the same rights as every other Canadian, but then we also have our Aboriginal rights, which came mm-hmm. later, of course, in the Constitution talks in 1982. But, you know, there's this idea that like so many Canadians, right, forget that our ancestors like allowed you to come here, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And 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 then everything changed for us. And these treaties that we negotiated in order to kind of live a peaceful life and that everybody would benefit from the relationship. Right. Settlers have disproportionately benefited from the treaties, while mm-hmm. Indigenous peoples have not. They, we, they have not been honored and we have been left out. Right. From that kind of like good life, that minobamatsuin, mm-hmm. as they say, right? The, of that good life, the intent behind it, of everybody having a good life and sharing that good life. And so I think he kind of misses the mark a little bit there where he's talking about becoming as equal Canadians. Okay, there's one other thing where he talks about valuing cultures on our own terms. Yeah. And even though this idea of like valuing different cultures is really important that um, we also need to kind of challenge the idea that indigenous peoples are just like cultures, like we're nations, right? Mm -hmm. We're nations and we have our own knowledge knowledges. We have our own worldviews. We have our own understanding of like, everything from the cosmos to like humans and how mm-hmm. humans interact with each other and the earth. I think that we need to move beyond kind of this idea of just like culture, like indigenous, indigenous culture mm-hmm. into more of a nation base and valuing, I think like valuing indigenous knowledges mm-hmm. as relational, right. As inherently relational, we need to look at, valuing indigenous knowledges in their own right as mm-hmm. opposed to just cultures yeah and for this i really think that indeed the relationality of indigenous knowledges the way in which indigenous languages and knowledges 
teach us about the interconnectedness and the holism of of humans and like our environment and the relational aspects of just living life and all things having life and spirit and being important this is a gift Mm -hmm. this is a gift to settler people to white people and it needs to be acknowledged as such right Mm -hmm. this way of seeing the world and perceiving the world from a really holistic relational perspective yeah it's cultural but it's so much more and i think that gets at a sense of when you when you talk about valuing a culture on its own terms it might be just sort of a sense of like oh yeah, I see you, you're different from me, I respect that, but it's much more transformative, or it should be. Absolutely. That is the gift right mm. there. The, mm. transformative, the transformative potential of understanding, you know, Indigenous worldviews and knowledges. So it's such a gift. It was such a gift for Christy to share her thoughts with me for this episode. I really appreciate it. And I just want to note that valuing cultures on their own terms is actually something I said interpreting Joe Clark. It's not what Joe said directly. So I'm learning a lot here too. Learning on the fly. It's a really good experience. And I hope you feel the same. Thanks for listening to So What? This was the first of four episodes on reconciliation. And I hope you'll stay tuned. The next episode comes out on February 1st. You can find it on all major podcast platforms. If you want to share your thoughts, and I hope you do, please go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash so what podcast. My name is Jonas Cornelson. I'll talk to you again next month.